I don't know. <laughs> Listen to them, children of the night. What music they make. It is midnight in Cozy Corner and around the world. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, put your feet up and get ready to howl at the moon. It is time for the late night fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Are y'all ready? I am definitely ready. I'm ready. What have we got tonight? Tonight, we have the classic 1935 Universal Monster movie, Bride of Frankenstein, directed by James Whale, starring Boris Karloff. I am the Coyote, and you are listening to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Welcome, misfits, miscreants, spooks, specters, astral beings from Dimension X, alien envoys from galaxies near and far, and all of you boogers from around the world. You are listening to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan, and with me as always is my very reanimated, my very bridely co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Faith, we have one of the greatest movies ever made tonight on the show. We do. I'm very excited about this. I am too. Coyote was nice enough to introduce it in the bumper. Would you please tell our listeners out there around the world what we are talking about tonight? We are talking about The Bride of Frankenstein. Ooh, Ooh, directed by James (laughs) Whale, starring Boris Karloff, Colin Clive, Ernest Thesiger, Una O'Connor, and... Elsa Lanchester. Ooh. Such a great cast. It's a wonderful cast. Wonderful cast. This is a this is a great movie. This mm-hmm. is one of the best movies I think we've talked about on this show before. And uh, we're gonna have some fun tonight talking about it. But first, Faith, you have some fun stuff to tell us about. Now these now we have been known to stretch the truth here on the late night fright on occasion, right, Faith? <laughs> yes. On occasion, we have been <laughs> Just known to stretch a the truth. Bit. And have a little bit of fun. But the, this is a real news story mm-hmm. from, do we know where this is from? Georgia. From Georgia. This one's from Georgia. So yes. from Georgia, here in the United States of America, Faith has a headline she's going to read to you first <laughs> off. Go ahead, Faith. The headline says, oh dear, Georgia woman pumping gas kicked in head by deer. <laughs> what are the specifics of this, Faith? <laughs> Would you like me to read the actual article to you? Is it short? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. It says a Georgia woman went to fill up her gas tank before work when a deer leaped over her head, kicking her in the process. But she says she stood there for a minute to process what happened and didn't realize it was a deer until she saw it run off. <laughs> so this is our second um, animal, animal story. Uh, last week, we had the story of the camel who sat on the woman and then promptly <laughs> got bit in the testicles. So which I which I see is like all over the news still. Yeah. I mean, every time I go to the news, there's a new story about it. The lady said she'd do it again if she had to. Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, 
Did they ask the camel how he felt about it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Uh, but you have another one for us too, don't you? So this yes. is so we we have the camel story. The woman bites camel on testicles. Now we have the woman gets hit in the head by a deer. Mm-hmm. Boy, that deer must have had some hang time too. You know, I know. Must have had a vertical. I mean, those things can get up there. Uh, in Georgia, now we have another story involving an animal, although not in a way that you would normally associate with an animal. Please, please share that. I'm not sure this. where this took place. My sister shared this story um, that a farmer decided to propose to his girlfriend by putting the ring on the udders of a cow. Of a cow. Yeah. Of a cow. Let that sink in for a second. That's utterly fascinating. <laughs> very, very fascinating. Can I ask you a question? Because sure. you're a woman, okay. you know, and I respect you as an artist mm-hmm. and a woman. Um, if someone proposed to you <laughs> with a ring that was on the udder of a cow, would you put it on your finger no. afterwards? I don't even think I'd speak to the person. I'd probably slap him in the face and walk off because that's yeah. just weird. It is a little weird, isn't it? It's a lot it's a, weird. A weird. But you know what? Maybe she was into that. I guess, but I don't know. You know, they say there's somebody for everybody out there. You know, we have a movie tonight. The movie that we're going to be talking about tonight (laughs) is about somebody looking for somebody, right? Exactly. It's about possibly, you know, (laughs) uh, someone being out there for you. Yes. (laughs) Friendship and companionship and all that. That's This is something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. Two stories. Two weeks in a row, and we've had three stories involving animals. 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 It's pretty funny. Wow. News from around the world, right? <laughs> exactly. News from around the world. But you know what time it is now? It's time for our news, isn't time it? Time for news from Cozy Corner. Yep. Here we go. Local rock band Lever got a real surprise this past Saturday at the release party for their new album, Pull It. When lead singer Chaz Plannerswart took the stage, he enthusiastically asked the crowd if they were ready to rock. To Plannerswart's surprise, the crowd answered with an apathetic no. The gig was a resounding dud. But we hear the album is amazing. Best of luck to Lever on the rest of their tour. Best of luck indeed. Well, odds are you've seen local resident Junior Watson walking around town. Odds are, if you've seen him recently, he's been carrying a box, and odds are it's a box full of dog crap. Odds are also pretty good that if you make eye contact with Junior Watson, he'll ask you to smell the dog crap. That's right. (laughs) The box is from Muffin Tops, Cozy Corner's premier cupcake parlor. That is the same parlor that Junior's girlfriend, Shandonise Sanderson, works. The crap is from his rat terrier, Bruno. Bruno apparently got into the pantry and ate... (laughs) A bottle of garlic powder, a box of Domino sugar, and a jar of molasses. I'd like to add, he ate the jar itself. Faith, this is not funny. Junior thinks that Bruno, that Bruno may be sick, and instead of taking the dog to a vet, he's asking... I can't believe he's doing this. He's asking Cozy Corner residents if they think Bruno's excrement smells funny. My co-host had the misfortune of running into him on the street, and she said the turds smell like hot death by way of rotten ass. (laughs) Junior himself seems to be unaffected by the smell. He's just really worried about Bruno. My apologies for laughing through that, but 
That's uh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, man. Poor Bruno. <laughs> yes. Poor anyone who has to come in contact with it, you know? Yes. Everyone's favorite daredevil, Whip Strangeman, is still recovering from his most recent accident when he tried to jump his motorcycle over an 18-wheeler that was on fire. While Strangeman did not suffer any burns, he wiped out upon landing, shattering his clavicle and puncturing a testicle out. He's expected to make a full physical recovery but is suffering from a severe case of PTSD. Strangeman's wife, Millie Jean, says he wants to perform his death-defying stunts again, and doctors have recommended he start off slow. They have set up a slip and slide. <laughs> slip and slide, Faith. Wow. You, you know a slip and slide. In the backyard. Wow, man. Yeah. But as of today, Whip Strangeman is not taking the plunge. I'm so sorry to I- laugh. I can't believe Whip. Man. I can't believe, yeah, Whip's just not ready to engage, I guess. You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we do wish him a full and speedy recovery. Absolutely. Yes. Good luck, Whip. We tell you to, to, to nut up. <laughs> but that might not write, be the who, best. Advice. Who writes this? We tell you to nut up, but that might not be the best advice given your recent injury. Man. Who writes this? <laughs> This is terrible. Man, sorry we gotta, that we, gotta, we had to laugh through that. But. We got a man in Cozy Corner carrying a box of dog crap around. We got a guy with a punctured testicle. On a slip and slide. We got a band that you know, wants to rock, but the crowd doesn't. Yeah. Well, Faith, we have, a, we have one final bit of news. It is October. Fall is in the air. Halloween is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. We have been doing this show since February. Mm-hmm. That is eight months now. And do you know what? I think I do know what. Robert England <laughs> has still not been on this show. I know. I'm so sad. I'm very disappointed about this. Robert, if you're out there, we know you have things to do, but what could be more important than coming on the late night fright with two of your biggest fans of, right? of all time? Two I of your mean, biggest come fans. Come on. <sighs> I'm even willing at this point to tell you that we can give you up to four dollars to come on the show I was gonna say like 275 man you're you're it's robert you england really faith. want him on faith the show. it's robert england i know it's robert england four dollars it is four dollars four actually let's make it five that way we want you know, it's just yeah, one, just you just have to give him the bill, one bill just... yeah robert from the bottom of our hearts we love you please come on our show please and that is the news does never get old absolutely not i would just like to make a formal apology to anyone out there listening it was very unprofessional of us to giggle during the news i feel so ashamed of myself but uh all i'm gonna say is you tried to get through a news story about a guy carrying around a box of dog crap (laughs) right (laughs) see if see see how you fare with it (laughs) so well, we have a wonderful show tonight. We're going to be talking about one of the true classics in the horror genre, one of the true classics in 
any genre. Faith, what are we talking about? The Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein, starring our favorite Boris Karloff. We're going to talk about that when we get back. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. Again, WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio, Harrison. WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Nine time Comic Con attendee, collector of action figures, both new and rare, still in the original packaging, of course, enthusiastic cosplayer, and host of Laser Beams. Pew pew! That's Laser with a Z and Beams with a Z. WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio's new show recapping all of the week's scores from Laser Lanes. Pew pew! Cozy Corner's premier laser tag arena and arcade. Who scored higher in Friday night's 815 round? Was it Poon Lord 69, Jizzman 69, or Rammer Jammer 69? To find out, tune into Laser Beams. Pew pew! Only on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Pew pew! Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. Faith, have you had a chance to listen to the new shows on our broadcast network, either the Straight Dope or Laser Beams Pew Pew? That's Laser with a Z and Beams with a Z, hosted by Scott Rice. And the Straight Dope is hosted by our old friend Harrison Ford. Have you had 
the opportunity to check out any of these shows yet. I haven't listened yet, but I, I have a feeling that I will for sure. What about you? I have a feeling that those shows are exactly what I think they're going to be. <laughs> are you going to listen to them? I feel like I already have. <laughs> I feel like I already have. Were you, uh, any chance you might have a high score on the laser tag board from Laser Lanes? Uh, no, I suck at laser tag. You're not Poon Lord 69. No, it's not me. I thought you might be. Well, we do have, we are going to have an update later in the episode on the scores from this evening. So I know we're all looking forward oh, to that. So looking forward to it. I'm sure Harrison is uh, smoking some pound hammer. I'm looking forward to that, watching the wall. <laughs> watching, he's not even watching paint dry, he's just looking at the wall. <laughs> Oh, this is a great one. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into it. We have a good one. We, we have do. a good one tonight, don't we? Yes, we so, do. So uh, here we go. Bride of Frankenstein. You know, in cinema history, it's always amazing when a movie transcends its genre. And it's even rare when a sequel outdoes its predecessor. Tonight's movie is one of those rare films. And with apologies to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, The Empire Strikes Back, and Terminator II, Judgment Day, it may be the greatest sequel Hollywood has ever produced. Tonight, we're talking about a movie that is so full of iconic images, performances, and moments that it has become a part of the culture around the world. And even people who have never seen this movie know it. Variety said of this movie upon its release that it is one of those rare instances where none can review it or talk about it without mentioning the cameraman, art director, and score composer in the same breath as the actors and director. Karloff manages to invest the character with such subtleties of emotion that are surprisingly real and touching. Thesiger as Dr. Pretorius is a diabolic characterization if there ever was one. Lanchester handles two assignments, being first in a preamble as author Mary Shelley and then the created woman. In the latter assignment, she impresses quite highly. Faith, you know what we're talking about, don't you? Bride of Frankenstein, Bride of, of Frankenstein. Course. How did you like Bride of Frankenstein? This was a first-time watch yes. for you. Okay, first-time watch. Yeah, uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. I think you've mentioned... This is one of your favorite movies? Just movies in right, general. Movies. This is top 10 movies This for is me. definitely going on a favorites list for me. It's incredible. I'm so glad that I finally got to watch it. This is a movie that when uh, I get to know people, especially if I make new friends and, and we find that we have cinema in common, like, have you seen Bride of Frankenstein? No, it's like we watch Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> I think this is one of the finest movies Hollywood has ever made. And I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. And I don't think, I know it's very highly praised. I don't think it gets quite enough praise because uh, one of the things that has held this movie back is it's just a horror movie, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a, no, no, this is more than a horror <laughs> movie. So uh, my note here is this is indeed my favorite of the universal horror films. There's really, there's a lot to like a in lot, this movie, yeah. a lot to admire. Mm -hmm. uh, Carlos' performance, the comedy elements, the entire cast, the beautiful sets. Uh, this is also my favorite horror film of all time. Just inching just inching by the original nightmare on elm street just because i think this has the horror and the comedy blended together in mm -hmm. such a uh, wonderful way and there's more heart here right. than in elm street you know your uh elm street is really like a bad dream you know right. and oh, this yeah. is this is just so many things mm -hmm. you know I, I as much as there is going on in elm street there's so much more going on here and Karloff you have Karloff in it you know exactly you know and I think England if if he came on our show would agree that you know Karloff inches by England just <laughs> just it's it's a hair right it's right it, well it's a I hair. think Karloff too is such a classic so it's, it's kind amazing. of hard not yeah. to you know and um I really do think this is a movie that's better than its sequel 
I, oh, I yeah, think. I agree. Or I say this is a sequel that is better than its original. I should say. I got, right. I, know, I, got I, know a little, <laughs> I got a little. Uh, we know what you meant. My, my marbles were full of mouth there, right. as Jerry Gergich would say. Gergich. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. What is happening tonight? Those microphones, man. Too much coffee. That's what happens when you when you uh, sully the name of Robert England on the show. The That's equipment, exactly the equipment it. makes you sound like an ass. That's what it is. So, Faith, this movie is eighty five years old. It premiered on April twentieth, nineteen thirty five, which also happened to be Good Friday. Uh, how aware were you of this movie? Now, I know you you were aware that there was a Bride of Frankenstein movie, but I'm talking about these iconic moments that you got to see in their entirety. How aware were you of what this movie really, really was and the cultural significance of this movie? I really wasn't that aware of all the greatness in it. There are so many scenes that I honestly didn't even know what the story was about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was that was completely different. But I obviously knew the characters and kind of the gist of what was going to be happening, but not everything that was jam-packed into it. Right, you know the extent of it. Right, I got introduced to this when I was ten years old. An American movie classic used to be a lot like the Turner Classic Movie Station is now. They'd have the host; he'd come on, he'd introduce the show. There were no commercials, and it was Halloween, nineteen eighty-nine. I'd gotten into these movies, and I was taping the marathon that they did on Halloween because House of Frankenstein was coming on, and I wanted to see all the monsters. Well, they showed them all like in order. Mm-hmm. And Bride of Frankenstein was in there, and I watched it. And I remember my first, I, 10 years old, was I loved it, but I didn't quite get it. And even at 10, I felt like there was more to it than right. I was aware of what was going on. But House of Frankenstein was the winner for me that night. But as the years have gone on, it's it's Bride. Bride of Frankenstein is just, <laughs> uh, it's really, as you said, it's one of my favorite movies ever made. It's up there with uh, The Godfather and Citizen Kane. And Rocky and Star Wars and 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 Raiders of the Lost Ark, those great movies. It is just as good, maybe better than some of those movies. I can't believe I'm saying that, but yeah, it's that good of a movie. It really is. So, um, and as I said, I'd like to add that it does have its place in pop culture, but the fact that it's a horror movie, I think, gets it overlooked in some circles. Mm-hmm. That's just a horror movie. No, it's way it's, more than yeah, that. way more. Uh, so James Whale, the great director of the original film in 1932's The Old Dark House. Go ahead, Faith. Give it a shameless plug. You can find that episode wherever podcasts can be found. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you have any shame? Not at all. You shouldn't. He returns <laughs> to the director's chair. A sequel was planned to Frankenstein all the way back in 31. And Whale did not want anything to do with it, Faith. Why is that? Do we know? He thought he had milked it for all it was worth. He thought that was it. He and, mm-hmm. and I can see that. Yeah. I can see where he's coming from. But Carl Limley Jr., the producer at Universal, knew that for the sequel to have any chance of being a success, Whale had to direct the film. So a deal was struck. Universal would let him make One More River, which is that's a very good movie. It's a very good drama. I've um, seen it. Uh, well, a lot of people haven't seen it. <laughs> I have actually seen that movie. It's a <laughs> very, <laughs> very good movie. And it's uh, it's criminally overlooked. It was overlooked in this time. It's still overlooked. And uh so they said, well, we'll let you make that movie if you come and make the Frankenstein sequel. And he agreed to do that. So he thought that the sequel, it wasn't called Bride of Frankenstein at the beginning. He thought it would not top the original. So he decided, in his own words, to make it a hoot. A hoot. A hoot. A hoot. It's in quotes. <laughs> so the movie went through several screenplay drafts, including contributions from John Balderston. We've talked about him. He contributed to all three of Universal's successful monster pictures, Dracula, Frankenstein, and The Mummy. 
Balderson was the first to add in the story of the monster demanding a mate, something present in the original Mary Shelley novel, and it was widely accepted that the screenplay was finished by William Hulbert and James Whale. James Whale was involved in every aspect of this production from top to bottom, and all of his talents are on full display here. He used to work on plays. He did lighting and set design. He was involved in everything here. We covered him extensively, as we said, on our old Dark House episode, so if you'd like to hear some biographical materials on him, check that out. As Faith said, you can find that wherever podcasts are found. What did you think of the story here in Bride of Frankenstein? I liked it a lot. I feel like it's definitely different. Did, did you agree? Like, oh, I mean, <laughs> oh, I have a note here. May I read my note? Of course. Okay. <laughs> the note reads: I cannot overstate how truly weird this movie is. We have an appearance from Mary Shelley, a gay scientist allegedly uh, growing homunculi, a reanimated corpse bride with a bird cage on her head and a lightning bolt design on her hair, a sympathetic monster, and for some reason, the good doctor's laboratory has a death lever. That's right. If you pull this lever, it's going to blow the whole thing up. This is a weird, strange, amazing, and beautiful movie. That's my note on this. It is a weird movie. You, you nailed it. Though. That's a weird movie. That is, I mean, how you describe this movie, it's easy to say, well, the monster demands a mate. Okay, but... How you get there is so, so (laughs) weird. So so this movie famously opens with a prologue that introduces us to Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, and to the author of the novel, Mary Shelley. She's played by Elsa Lanchester, who will do double duty. She will appear later about an hour after this prologue as the monster's made. What did you make of the prologue? Because as a kid, this was very confusing to me, and it did kind of turn me off the first time I saw it. Uh, I actually think now it's the key to the whole movie. So what did you think of this and, and what did you get out of this? And, and I want to add that Whale fought to keep this in. People wanted him to take it out. He said, no, this is we have to have this. What were your thoughts on this prologue? I think it, I think it was needed in it. I think it kind of provided the tone possibly or kind of what we were going to get into, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It sets up the movie. Right. It really does. So I have some notes here on it. Um, I mean, obviously it's a prologue, so I mean, but you, you get what I'm saying. Oh, I, I mean, totally get what you're saying, yeah. Um, the themes are really presented here, mm-hmm. which is neat, and it does something, it does two things that I really like, and let me see here. So the first note I have is it's uh, pretty people having nasty, naughty, ugly thoughts, and we're going to see throughout yeah. the movie how opposites are at play in this story. The monster who isn't really a monster. We have Christ inversions, Mm -hmm. which are not in, uh, you know, it's not in a sacrilegious manner as it is. It's more of an, a, he was trying to push your buttons and get you to see this, you know, in a certain way. Uh, We have a horror film that's funny and a comedy that's kind of horrific. So the opposites are are in play there. Um, Also like the anachronistic Try saying that word, Faith. Anachronistic, Anachronistic. elements here, <laughs> starting off in the early 1800s, and then we have a story that takes place in a land that is supposedly Germany <laughs> or Bavaria somewhere, but it's more like England. It has futuristic machinery, and accents are all over the place. My note is it's a Lynchian dream world full of surrealism, expressionism, Baroque, and Rococo elements, and it's amazing. Also, I want to add, I looked to see if David Lynch cites James Whale as an influence. I couldn't find anything definitive, but would it surprise you if James Whale was an influence on me? It would not, not surprise all. me at all. Um, also, from a storytelling standpoint, it helps to reintroduce viewers into the world and serves a re- as a recap for the previous film, which had come out four years earlier. But the truly great thing it does is set the film in the imagination. 
in her imagination, and that's what this is. Mm-hmm. It's really a fairy tale or a dream. There's no boundaries on this storytelling. We're about to get really weird. <laughs> that's the thing. So you got like the imagination happening, uh, the opposites, and we're about to get weird. Mm-hmm. And it gets exactly. so weird. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Do you have anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think you, again, you nailed that. That's... The David Lynch influence, well, I say the David Lynch influence, but the James Whale influence on the Lynch, da- I can David see. David Lynch way back then. <laughs> David, hey, he, hey, he's got, Time he's got skills. You, you don't know. You don't <laughs> know. Right? Twin Peaks is a documentary. That's right. Uh, so, uh, but the whole cast in this movie is absolutely amazing. We have Colin Clive returning as Dr. Henry Frankenstein. This would sadly be one of his final screen appearances as alcohol got the better of him. Valerie Hobson replaces Mae Clark as Elizabeth. May Clark did not appear here because of health issues. Dwight Fry, a favorite here on the show. He was Renfield and Dracula and the assistant in the original Frankenstein. He returns in a different role as his character, Fritz, Henry's assistant, had been killed off in the original. And uh, Whale just really liked him. He, he liked his, his acting style and wanted him in the movie. So in addition to Elsa Lanchester as Mary Shelley and the Bride, we also have some great additions here. E.E. E. Clive plays the Burgomaster, and Irish actress Una O'Connor portrays Minnie, the housekeeper of the Frankenstein estate. Both are highly comedic performances. We also have the addition of Ernest Thesiger as Dr. Septimus Pretorius, who delivers a very funny and menacing performance as an old acquaintance of Henry's who wishes to create a mate for the monster and gets to deliver the line to a new world of gods and monsters. One of the classic lines in film history. So I'm going to throw this out. Uh, I think that this whole movie is about outsiders. What do you think? I can see that for sure. It, that's absolutely. That's it. Oh yeah. <clears throat> there's, um, there's a lot of ways to read this movie mm-hmm. and, uh, Feminists read it one way. There's a lot of gay readings of the movie. You can look those up. Uh, Whale was homosexual, uh, out, and he was very, which we talked about on the old Dark House episode. He was out at a time uh, when no one was really out. Uh, Very interesting character James Whale is, and that movie Gods and Monsters about him from 1999 that Ian McKellen is in is wonderful. Um, But we see the outsider reflected in two characters in the drama most clearly. We see it in Dr. Pretorius, played by Ernest Thesiger, and the monster played by some guy. Some guy who just (laughs) wandered on. Uh, You can even argue that Mary Shelley herself is an outsider. And as I said, there are several ways to read this movie, especially 85 years later in 2019 Mm -hmm. with all that history behind us. Uh, There's feminist readings. Relating to Mary Shelley and the bride, there's homosexual readings that mostly have to do with who Whale was and the casting of Thesiger, who was also gay. Uh, I personally don't think that there's one definitive reading of the movie, but uh, the thing I see most in the movie is the relationship of the outsider to society and what it's like to be alone. That's, that's what I see. Mm-hmm. And that ties, for me, all the other ones together. Mm-hmm. So uh, those... Those are universal themes, and I think James Whale understood them being an artistically-minded young man growing up in a factory town. He was he came from a factory family. He was sensitive and artistic, and I think he would understand that. And I've heard it said uh, his partner of many years uh, said he wouldn't have looked at this as a, as a quote-unquote gay movie, you know, or something right. like he he just looked at it as an artistic statement. Right. And we're reading things into these things 85 mm-hmm. years later. But I, I think really at its core it's about outsiders. I think that's what that's what he was and that's what uh that's what I think this movie I can is, definitely see that, saying. yeah. 
So, well, we both really enjoyed Ernest Thesiger in the old dark house, didn't we? we His did. Horace film, the not so masculine man of the house <laughs> who wanted everyone to have a potato during dinner. Um, Faith, you really liked him in that movie, didn't you? I loved oh, yeah. him in that movie. <laughs> what did you think of him here? Because I, I, I really like this performance. I think he's brilliant here again. I can't even, I can't really decide which performance I prefer because I think he's great equally in both. He definitely doesn't want to share any potatoes here. <laughs> no, no. I think he's absolutely amazing. Um, and thinking about him, I was watching scenes of him in the old dark house and rewatching this. I think he's become one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, he's the kind of guy who had a really unique energy and he could get anywhere between, and I mean this, seven and 15 different shades of a yeah. meaning out of a line with one line reading. Um, I think Karloff is the heart of, of this, but I think Ernest Thesiger is the wit and dark, mm-hmm. twisted soul. He almost has a, uh, I don't know if it's, you know, very creepy, but he has a very creepy, intense energy to him in a way. Malevolent. You know? There you That's go. That's the word. <laughs> it's malevolent. There you go. Yeah. And, um, you get the idea they got it past the censors that this guy is gay, which has nothing to do with who he is in the movie, but right. there's something just about. About him, and it's not the homosexual overtones of the character. There's something so malevolent mm-hmm. in him, and funny, and twisted, and and kind of delightful all at the same time. <laughs> you know, um, but he he definitely is. He's the villain of the piece. How did you like the addition of him to the story? And what did you think of his personality and his motives? Because he really kind of is the devil oh, yeah. in this. He's he's a tempter. You know. Yeah. No, I think. Um I don't think the movie would be the same without him, you know? Obviously, it's kind of what the whole movie's about, but even the actor in general, I think it brings, like you said, uh, an intensity to it. And I love the story of him, especially when he brings out the little people in the jars. The little homunculi, yeah. Yeah, and he even (laughs) equates himself to the devil in that Mm -hmm. scene. You know, yeah. But I loved him. I love him in this. Yeah, he's he's breaking the natural order like Henry did, and he's tempting Henry back yeah. into that role. Um, I have the note here. Uh, his unique energy drives the picture. He's the one that puts the plot into motion. So from a screenplay storytelling view, he has a purpose. He's uh, also Mephistopheles to Henry Frankenstein's Faust, pulling him, as I said, back into the life of the mad scientist. And he's pulling him away from. He's pulling him into unnatural creation from making babies with his bride, mm-hmm. you know, which is a really interesting uh, uh, idea. He's also the character that literally blows smoke into the face of death in the graveyard scene when he blows cigar smoke into a skull, which is a callback to Henry Frankenstein throwing dirt on the Grim Reaper in the first film in the graveyard. Uh, at his heart, though, he is the antagonist and villain of this, and he gives the movie its energy. That's, that's I think... Pretorius and Ernest Thesiger in a nutshell. And I think he's I think he's the most showy performance mm-hmm. in the movie. Absolutely. You know, he's I think he's a great addition. He's he's comic gold too. Mm-hmm. Just the way he uh when he sits down in that graveyard in the catacomb, the under you know, underground uh-huh. graveyard, you know, I rather like this place, you know. <laughs> and he pulls out his gin, you know, and the whole thing with vices, you know, this is my only vice. Oh, this is my uh-huh. only vice. I, yeah, this I is that. <laughs> like a devil tempting you, you know, mm-hmm. it's sly and funny. And uh, there's also an alchem- uh, alchemical uh, notion to him, you know, because the thing with the homunculi, alchemists would do that, you know, grow 
people. That's that's an old, old idea going way, way back. And that little hat he wears is like an alchemist would wear. And mm-hmm. like I said, he's evil and cunning and de- and deceitful, but I love him. Exactly. You know, he's like my favorite <laughs> character in this piece, you know. Um, great performance. But I think the performance in the movie belongs to Boris Karloff, credited in this film simply as Karloff. And that shows you how big he was if he only went by his last name and returning for his second portrayal of the monster. I'm a fan of Boris Karloff, and I think that you like Boris just a little bit. Um, I actually think this is his best performance in his long career. Uh, What did you think of Karloff as the monster here? Like always, he's incredible. I mean, every single scene that he's in, he just steals the show. I mean, every movie, every scene. He is wonderful. He's actually become one of my favorite actors. I think Lately. he's the greatest horror actor of all time. I think he's one of the oh, great yeah. actors of all time. Oh, and yeah. uh, this is this is beyond words. The 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 performance here carries this picture. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you're watching someone grow. Yeah. You know, a, a child. It's, it's really grow. hard. It's really kind of hard to describe how great he is. I mean, he's just. And I don't see him. I see the monster. Right. That's amazing. Exactly. Uh, big decision was made here. Karloff was against this decision. Mm-hmm. Um, he speaks in this, and mm-hmm. this was billed, and it was uh, promoted as The Monster Speaks, Karloff Speaks. What did you think of the decision? Boris didn't like it. His daughter has even said that she thinks he was wrong. Where are you on this? I'm okay with it. I thought that I wouldn't be, but I think it works here. So I'm not that upset with it. I think it kind of adds It adds something. I don't know. What exactly I'm looking for, what we're looking for, but it's it adds a new layer of childlike yeah, I mean, uh, wonder to it. And he, uh, Whale got with the studio psychologist or psychiatrist, uh, somebody uh, who knew, who was in the know on this. And mm-hmm. they only picked words that like a 10 year old would know. So his vocabulary is limited, but he was portraying him as a child. And I think it makes him even more vulnerable, yeah. you know, if that makes any sense. You yeah. know, um, the limited speech, now he can communicate and it's still you know it's still there's still a vulnerability to right. him it, it, it it's not like he's forming these long sentences you know all of a sudden right so, because the monster in the novel is very philosophical he's not here right. obviously right you know yeah so i'm okay with the decision i, I mean you are too honestly <laughs> i i think it was a good decision yeah in the third movie he would not speak he loses power of speech in the third movie but i think here it, it works right because of the evolution of the character. And uh, we're going to talk about that evolution because it's shown through his performance, but also in his makeup. And the makeup makes concessions to the end of the first film. So Jack Pierce, the legendary makeup man, he actually put the burn on Karloff, the Harris singed, which mm-hmm. I think is great. So it's a different look right. in this movie from the first, and you see it regenerate as the movie goes on. What did you think of the makeup job here? Because this is very different. He's a little heavier in the face because he was able to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't you know, a starving actor anymore. But also, uh, he took his dental plate out. We talked about that in the first mm-hmm. movie to give that sunken look. Well, he had to wear it here if he was going to speak. So what did you think of the monster's look here with the addition of the makeup and uh, different makeup and the regeneration that goes on throughout the movie? Uh, I liked it because obviously I feel like it, it ties into the story. Obviously, it's some time later and some things have happened. So he's obviously not going to look identical, you know, to the first movie. Right. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I, I like that. It's something that Jack Pierce 
clued in on mm-hmm. and made made concessions to because they could have just as easily not had him burn, mm-hmm. you know. But they they went for it, and it shows the spiritual growth. I think that the character yeah, goes I, on. And he does go on mm-hmm. a soul journey in this movie from being alone to realizing he's alone to then wanting companionship and then you know feeling rejection. Exactly. And we're going to talk about the end too. I think he even at the end when he tells Henry and. Um, uh, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Frankenstein to leave. I think he's seen that he has companionship. You deserve, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't feel animosity towards Henry. Right. You know, it's a really neat character and a great performance. And Boris is amazing. Uh, always. <laughs> right. I think he outdoes himself in this movie than, you know, so from the first movie. So. I think so too. Well, we talked about him. He's the heart of the movie, but the heart of uh, the scene that's really the heart of this movie is the one that he shares with the blind man played by O.P. Heggie. Uh, what was going through your mind as you were watching this scene play out? Because I honestly think this is one of the great scenes in movie history. It's been parodied by Mel Brooks and Young Frankenstein. But And one thing I want to add about this movie before we get into this is if you play this too far to the right or left, it's funny. Mm-hmm. Mel Brooks proved that this is very funny right. or it's way too sentimental. This is perfect. This mm-hmm. is right down the line. What did you think of, of this scene? Cause this is the scene of the movie. To this me. is probably one of my favorite scenes in a movie ever. And that says a lot. Cause I'm somebody that I, I notice scenes, but sometimes they slip from my mind, you know, but this just stands out. There's something it's unexpected too, because I hadn't seen it and I wasn't expecting it coming in. And it, like you said, it's not, too overly sentimental. Yeah. It's kind of just it's right beautiful. there. It it's, is amazing. It's two lonely people finding each other. Um, and they've read, um, again, we said there's a lot of readings of this film. They, they've read Homosexual Overtones. Well, this is a gamers. I think it's two lonely people finding each other. If you want to read it that way, go ahead. That's fine. Right, I'm not I, I'm not going to fault you. Like, but That's not this, where I'm going with it. This either. is two lonely people. Mm-hmm. Who need a friend finding a friend. And, you know, I think that's what this is. Exactly. And it's absolutely beautiful. Opie Heggie plays this just beautifully. Karloff crying just gets oh me gosh. every time. <laughs> you know? I, I didn't expect that. No, I think I paused it and just. Yeah. Wow. I mean. Yeah. Loved what, was, it. what was your favorite moment from this, uh, including when he comes in? And then when they have their uh, cigars and they're dancing, I, and, I like the music. cigar part when he got afraid of the fire and then he started smoking it, and I think he got excited because he liked it so much. He went he went from excited <laughs> to uh, sick all in, <laughs> in in about two seconds. It, it's a great performance, and these two worked really well together. And James Whale wanted this man in the picture. He shut down production for a few weeks because he was working on something else, and he's like, "I need Opie Heggie in this," and well, I think I'm it was glad, the right yeah, choice. He, he was perfect for this. Um, I like the Last Supper nature of it with the bread and the wine mm-hmm. because it backs up the fact that he's a Christ figure. And they make a point of saying bread and wine. Mm-hmm. And we have the uh, crucifixion scene earlier. So he's establishing him as a Christ figure, an inverted Christ figure, as we said, because he's crucified and then has his Last Supper. But he's also uh, brought back from the dead and then crucified. Jesus was crucified and came back from the dead. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just an inversion. He's not making any religious statement, I think, on this. Just look. Right. and. You know, they treated Jesus pretty poorly, and, you know, they treated old Frank pretty bad, I think. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Pretty bad. So, so our favorite monster, he wants a friend, he finds a friend, yep. he loses a friend, and yep. then demands that his creator make him a mate. So <laughs> when we get back, we're going to talk about Elsa Lanchester as the bride, as well as some other technical aspects of the picture. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. 
is Bobby D'Amato, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. And I'm here to tell you about Cozy Corner's premier chicken finger restaurant and gentleman's club, Chicken Strips. It's a combination of my two favorite things. It's like when God put chocolate in one hand and peanut butter in the other, clapped them together and gave us the Reese's peanut butter cup. Let me tell you something. Chicken Strips has the finest wings on and off stage, if you know what I mean. And they have a whole bunch of different sauces. They have ranch. They have blue cheese. They have honey mustard, which is also the name of my favorite dancer at Chicken Strips. They got teriyaki. They got chili surprise. The surprise is what comes out of you afterwards if you catch my drift. And they have the old fashioned, which is also the name of their all-inclusive VIP package. Who needs Hooters when you have chicken strips? And hey guys, if you want to watch the game, stay home. They ain't got no TVs for watching no games. You're going to be watching that delicious food all the way into your mouth. And then you're going to be watching the prettiest girls this side of the Mississippi dancing for you. Right here in Cozy Corner at Chicken Strips. Chicken Strips. Tell them Bobby sent you. This is Scott Rice, host of Laser Beams. Pew, pew, right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio, with an update of the high scores from tonight at Laser Lanes. Pew, pew, Cozy Corner's premier laser tag arena and arcade. Our laser tag champ for the evening was Jerkin' My Gherkin 69 with 350,000 points and 222 confirmed kills. A new centipede world record was set with 999,999 points by someone with the initials ASS. And Slobberknob69 made us all laugh when she traded in her skee-ball credits for rubber dog poo at the gift table. We all had a good laugh. She put it right next to some nachos. Be sure to tune in to Laser Beams, pew pew, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. This is Jeff Fanghorn, host of Point Counterpoint, Cozy Corner's premier debate show, airing every Sunday at 9 a.m. right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. This week's guests are Bobby D'Amato, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright, and Scott Rice, host of Laser Beams, Pew Pew, the show that gives you the high scores from Laser Lanes, Pew Pew, Cozy Corner's premier laser tag arena and arcade. Our topic this week, who's the better captain, James Tiberius Kirk or Jean-Luc Picard? Here's a special preview. All I'm saying is that Jean-Luc Picard is by far the superior captain because he always seeks a diplomatic solution and he always puts the needs of others above himself. Diplomatic solution? What are you telling me? You're telling me that having his therapist right there on the bridge with him is a diplomatic solution? I'm telling you, he's a man of great feeling and integrity. No, he's a pussy. That's what he is. Can he say that on the radio? I'll allow it. 
I happen to really like Captain Janeway from Voyager. What the hell is wrong with you guys? Where are your balls? Captain James Tiberius Kirk is all man, baby. And how come this music sounds like E.T. the extra testicle? <sighs> it's extraterrestrial, you noob nazer. Tune in this Sunday, 9 a.m., Point Counterpoint, with Jeff Fanghorn, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Hey, beam me up, Scotty. I'm in a room full of namby-pambies. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. Faith, isn't your uh, Laser Lanes handle Slobinob69? Maybe. Did you play skee-ball this week? Maybe. Did you trade in your tickets for rubber dog poo and put them, put it next to nachos? Yes. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it was so funny he mentioned it in his laser laser beams update. Oh, I heard. <laughs> I can't wait to hear Scott Rice and Bobby D'Amato talking about Star Trek, which is funny because we've known Bobby a long time. Uh, his show comes on after ours. And uh, Bobby's only seen like two episodes of Star Trek, which is funny. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> which is funny. I, I, I guess he really likes William Shatner. Why wouldn't you? Right? <laughs> Why wouldn't you? So, well, let's continue with The Bride of Frankenstein from 1935. Let's talk about the production design. What do you let's think? Let's go for it. Uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I think this might even be the best looking of the classic Universal films that we've done. Whale, as we said, was heavily involved in every aspect of this production, but he was especially involved in this. What do you think about the look of this movie? I absolutely agree with you. It is gorgeous. I mean, yeah. Beautiful. I like the uh, expressionistic look of the graveyard. Mm -hmm. German expressionism popping in with those angles and mm -hmm. shadows. I like the design of Henry's house. I like the uh, forest. The forest is amazing. And the uh, the backgrounds where it always looks like it's going to rain. Uh -huh. You know. <laughs> the the uh, the forest is in my notes, too. That popped out for me for The telephone reason. pole forest, as Just, they call yeah, it. It's gorgeous. It I went mean, from lush when he's out there. I want to make a note here, too, the inversions from the first movie. He saves a woman from drowning in this mm -hmm. movie. The monster does. And then you have him when he comes in at the end, uh, when he's demanding the mate from Henry. He tells him to sit down in the chair. Sit down. You know, yep. I love the little inversions mm -hmm. they do. But uh, yeah. I like how the forest goes from very uh, lush when he's out there just hanging by himself. And then when he gets uh, hunted and caught, it's all, you know, bare, mm -hmm. you know, stark and bare. It's great. It's yeah, great. I mean, it's so beautiful. I I had to like stop myself from staring at it because it's just it was so nice to look That's at. James Whale, I know. <laughs> James Whale, and the uh, the lighting is another aspect of the motion picture uh, that's great. They use a technique called Rembrandt lighting, named after the Dutch painter, because the effect is one similar to the lighting he used in his paintings. I'm not a lighting technician; I can't <laughs> explain it. It is available; you can look it up, and it's amazing how they did it. But um, what it does, you can see, and you can see the the face up close, and there's shadows on one side and behind. It's it's a really great technique. Uh, what did you think of the but but the look of the movie with the lighting, the the whites and the blacks and the shadows and, and all those it's things? Gorgeous, and it's hard to believe that that it's 85 years old. You know that that was done yeah so well yeah. that long ago. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, yeah, I really can't 
you know, describe how beautiful yeah, it was enough. It's, it's, it's beautiful and dreamy and, and, and amazing. And speaking of beautiful and dreamy and amazing, let's talk about Elsa Lanchester. Um, she appears here, as we said, mm-hmm. as Mary Shelley, but she is also the titular character of The Bride. And this is one of the most iconic screen performances of all time, and she's not even in the movie very much. <laughs> uh, it's another amazing Jack Pierce makeup creation, and her look is based on Egyptian queen Nefertiti. I think what she does here with the limited screen time is absolutely amazing. What did you think of The Bride and Elsa Lanchester's The Bride and everything that goes into The, to the Bride? <laughs> like you said, for her having just a few minutes, she is an absolute presence. You just want to look at her. I think she's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I love the look of her. I love her hair. Yeah. The Egyptian mummy look she has yeah. going on. She's, yeah. she's hard not to love. And I've always kind of, even though I've never seen the movie, I've, I know who she is. Of course. I've, I've, and you know her in silhouette, too. You mm-hmm. can just see her shadow and you know who she is. I've kind of, um, I don't know if idolized is the word, but I've always thought she was just gorgeous. And I don't know. She She's captivating when you see her for the first time on the screen. Elsa Lanchester, had, to me, was like the Helena Bottom Carter of her mm-hmm. day. Very attractive woman and kind of sexy in her own unique right. way. Kind you know? of a kooky way. Like, you know, she's, yeah. she's very different looking. But I think she's very beautiful. Or she was yeah. very beautiful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think there's something about her that's just, just you can't, you, you want to look at her. Mm-hmm. And I've seen her in several other movies. She's always great. And she was kind of kooky and eccentric in real life and, and a real hoot and a holler, as they say. <laughs> Um, she's really great though. This is iconic. Oh, wonderful. You know? Um, what did you think of the hissing and the bird like jerking movement? Cause she based this, did you read what she based this on? Uh, the swans in London. Uh, if you get too close to the swans in the park, they would hiss at you. And okay. so she decided she was going to hiss at Karloff. Like that's, that's how she was going to communicate was through, uh, through bird movements. <laughs> I, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, I liked it, though. I think it was um, very different. <laughs> very, very odd. Very, creepy. very odd. Yes. Yeah. Very odd. Um, and this, of course, plays into the most iconic scene maybe from this movie and the most heartbreaking, I think, mm-hmm. in this movie is he comes out, he sees her and puts his hands out and says, friend. Mm-hmm. And she utterly rejects him. Yep. Twice. Yeah. Twice. Uh, like Peter denying Jesus almost, if you want to draw the Christ parallel. Um, and, uh, it's heartbreaking. What did you think of that? Because poor Frank, you know, he just, he just wants a friend. You know, I don't even think he's looking at her sexually. Mm -mm. It's just more like friend. Yeah. You know, yeah, a a friend that was specifically made, you know I mean? Like like, me, as he says. Yeah. Man, that was heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. I didn't know it was going to happen. And I think it, it hit me even more like, man. That's awful, considering, like I said, she was made for him. Right. And it's right. It's not good enough. And he goes, uh, he goes all nice guy. He's like, well, <laughs> I'm gonna pull the death lever here in the uh, in the uh, laboratory and uh, <laughs> screw all of you. Yeah, bye. <laughs> uh, that's that's enough, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Simon and Garfunkel song. Friendship causes pain. Get out, you know. <laughs> Can't even get a friend, you know? Yeah, I'm done. Hey, Dollface, you're not the most attractive thing on the block either, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. He only had the vocabulary of a 10-year-old. If he had some more choice phrases, could you imagine? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Screw you, lady. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was definitely definitely tragic. Not what not what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Um, 
but ultimately the outsider, you know, ultimately yep. the outsider and the Christ thing, you know, instead of, you know, he dies, he doesn't die for the sin. He dies because he's angry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you go live, you know, exactly. Get out. I'm about to pull this lever. <laughs> yeah. So one of the uh, one of the other aspects of this movie that we have not talked about is a great score by Franz Waxman. And he uses uh, Wagnerian lay motifs, which means that each character is assigned a uh, theme as it is. Uh, this goes back to Wagner and the ring cycle. That's what Ride of the Valkyries comes from. Big opera. Use that. John Williams famously used it in Star Wars for the characters. So it can um, be used when a character is on screen, when they're talking about it, to announce the arrival of a character. He has some very nice lay motifs in this uh, movie. Very, very influential in the score. Beautiful score. What did you think of the score? Loved it. Uh, um, I forgot what I was trying to say, but Considering the first one didn't have any music. Right, except for the Swan Lake piece. And then this one has music all throughout. I think it is absolutely beautiful. And uh, I want to play the prologue from the movie that they use over the credits at Mm -hmm. the beginning. And all the leitmotifs are there. It's all the themes. I'd like to play that, and we're going to walk through it, and uh, we're going to identify what they are, if that's cool. Awesome. All right, well, here it goes. All right, so here we go. So this is just a basic introduction to the piece. So those notes there are the monster's theme, mm-hmm. the little bump, 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 and he based that on his growl. All right. I think it's a great, great little motif for him. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's just—it's a little minor melody. There it is again. He's repeating it. Very. You know, influenced by Carl, but this here, this little kind of loping thing, bum, 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 that is Pretorius's theme, and you hear that when he walks in the first time. You hear it in the graveyard. You hear it uh, a little bit throughout the piece. Very fitting for him. Then we come back. There's a lightning crash. Mm-hmm. Here's the Karloff theme, but here is the bride's motif. Three notes. That's it. It's an octave to a major seventh. And he can do anything with this from this point, which is he uses it. So here it has this little resolution. Very kind of old school, you know, 30s, 40s music Mm -hmm. from films. But he can also bring that to a minor key. He he does all kinds of great stuff with it. And that's just kind of a code of all this. There it is. So that's the uh, Franz Waxman prologue to Bride of Frankenstein, and those little the, and the, the monster uh, theme is used to denote danger throughout the piece. Mm-hmm. And then uh, her theme is first introduced in the graveyard when he says, "No, we're going to make a woman." Yeah, it's a great score. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful score. And the Pretorius theme is very nice too in there. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. and uh, the lightning crashes, as I said, in there. But the bum 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 bum, he really clued into what Karloff was doing as a monster and was putting it to music. Yeah, that was my f- when it first came on. That was one of my first notes. I was like, "Wow, music is gorgeous." And I, I didn't know at the time it was their themes, but you know, I love it. <laughs> really um, cool. Franz Waxman's one of the greats in the film score uh, world. I can so, see why. Well, Faith, do you have anything else that you would like to add about The Bride of Frankenstein? Any final thoughts? Other than this movie is beautiful. It's fun. I think it holds up so well. Yeah. 85 years later, I think everybody should see it. It's amazing. It's I, I awesome. think it has a lot to say. Oh, yeah. And it's still saying it. Mm-hmm. You know. And I, I, I adore this movie. Do you have any uh, favorite moments from it that you would like to single out? We talked about two of the scenes. The one with the blind hermit. 
when you see the little people in the jars, I liked that. <laughs> I really liked the whole film. Can I say all of the? You can. You can it? say all of it. <laughs> I like the. Uh, I like the scene with uh, uh, Karloff and Thesiger in the uh, in the little graveyard. Mm-hmm. I think that's just a great, great awesome. thing. I like that uh, Pretorius uses uh, wine against him too. <laughs> you know, just just give him some wine. You know, <laughs> have also, a potato. Also, put any moment. With Karloff on the screen, I mean. Yeah, that's usually any movie that Karloff's in. That's that's the exactly. best moment. Um, I am uh, I'm really glad you enjoyed this because uh, you know sometimes you can oversell movies, and I know that you know how much I love this movie and adore right. it, and where it, where it ranks on my list. Right. So it it's not that I would have been upset if you didn't like it, but it was like oh good you because <laughs> I wanted you to like it. You know, I definitely did. Yeah, this is a game changer of a movie. It's, yeah, it's, it's really just that good. It's incredible. I'm re- I want to watch it again. Me too. Like right now. Me too. So Faith, <laughs> you, um, I'd like for you to introduce this because this is something that you came up with. We're in mm-hmm. October. Mm-hmm. Fall is in the air. You know, uh, Halloween's right around the corner. And yes. we are spotlighting something. And this was your idea. I'd like for you to tell our listeners what we're doing. We, well, not we. I have <laughs> decided while it's Halloween, one of the best parts of Halloween for me is the sounds and the music. So I I figured why not play some songs and you decided some scores. You said why don't we play why don't we pick a, a spooky piece of music? Mm-hmm. Uh, fun, it can be fun, dark, spooky, whatever. Right. Halloween music and I said, "Well, let's split it mm-hmm. and we'll do a piece of score." Yes. Or classical music, or and we'll do a pop song, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's kind of what, what we did last week. Our picks last week were Love Potion number nine, yes. and my pick was the Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm. uh, Funeral March of a Marionette by mm-hmm. Charles Gounod. Um, who's going first this week? Me. Okay, so Faith, <laughs> you have a lovely pick. I do this week. This is actually one of my favorite pieces of music I ever love it. ever composed. Let's see if I'm saying it right. I have faith in you, Faith. Is it Toccata Fugue in D? Is it minor or major? It is D minor, yeah. Oh, okay. You got it. It is actually, <laughs> Did I pronounce to- it right? is actually Toccata and Fugue in oh, D okay. minor. Yes. Um, and those are just musical terms. It, it is not anything it other than an anything. exercise, yes, in the key of D minor okay. by our great friend Bach. Yes. This is a great piece. Now, I have a surprise for you. Usually, this is an organ piece, mm-hmm. but. This is a full orchestral version Ooh. of this. <laughs> a lot of colors. Ooh. A lot of colors. Uh, so here it is. Toccata and Fugue in D minor. Face pick for Halloween score this week. We'll see you right on the other side of this. Yeah. 
was a great pick, Faith. Thank you. That is uh, that is one of my favorite pieces of classical music. And that is usually played on the organ, but mm-hmm. that is an orchestral piece there, and uh, one of the most famous arrangements of that. Yep. So that uh, did you ever see Fantasia? No. They they play that at the beginning of Fantasia. Okay. Uh, Stokowski plays it and they uh, introduce the colors of the orchestra and they just have some fun with it. It's a really great sequence. I've always liked it. I've had a, I had a Halloween CD that I always played every year and that was always on there and I've always loved it. So it's a, it's a great, great piece of music. Uh, I've always preferred it played by an orchestra, but it's beautiful on the organ Mm -hmm. as well. So my pick, I got the pop end of the stick this week and uh, there is a song by Donovan called Season of the Witch from the 60s. It's a pretty popular tune. It's very popular this time of the year. And I picked the song Season of the Witch, but I did not pick the Donovan version of it. I picked (laughs) from 1998. This is Dr. John with the Blues Brothers Band. This is from the film Blues Brothers 2000. Dr. John was uh, Mac Rabinac from New Orleans, Louisiana. He passed away... About a month ago, for uh, maybe it was a little more than a month ago, but within the past several months, mm-hmm. and he was amazing. If you don't know who Doctor John is, please look him up. He was the Night Tripper. He was amazing, and uh, so much great music. But uh, to hear him do this song in this style with the Blues Brothers Band is great. And you have some really great talent here. This is just a nice, creepy, voodoo, swampy rendition of this song. Mm-hmm. So what do you think of it, Faith? I like it. I, I do like too. It a lot. <laughs> I do too. Let's play it. Here it is. Season of the Witch. Dr. John, may you rest in peace with the Blues Brothers Band. Here it is. Do you think I see? 
some other cat looking over It's your right at me And it's strange Sure is strange You got to pick up every stitch There it is, Faith. Season of the Witch. Very good pick. It is October, and we are indeed in the season of the witch. I just think that's such a great arrangement of that mm-hmm. song. It's got that voodoo swamp thing going on, and of course, he was from New Orleans, and yep. uh, some great players on that. Duck Dunn, the great bass player, he's no longer with us. Rest in peace. Um, I love it. I absolutely. Yeah, that, was a, that was a really good pick. Love it. So uh, we are so glad that you stopped by and chose to spend a little time with us here on our little show. We know you have a lot of options. Thank you, as always, for choosing to spend some time with us. We are in October, as we said. Fall is in the air, and Halloween is right around the corner. We are going to be spotlighting classic Universal monster movies this month. We did The Mummy last week. That episode is available wherever podcasts are found. Next week, we have another great one from the Universal monster stable we're going to be talking about 1955s you ready for this one faith Mm -hmm. the creature 
from the Black Lagoon. Ooh. Ooh. I'm excited about one that. One of their one. great later monster pictures. Some would say their last great horror flick. So from that era. Right. So uh I'm looking forward to it. Me this too. is this is another one of my favorites. I really like this movie. I'm so ready to, I'm ready for it. But uh Faith? I hear the music, Faith. I do too. It's that time. Time to say goodbye. Time to say goodbye. We've had a good one though, haven't we? We sure have. Thank you again for choosing to spend a little time with us. We sincerely appreciate it and we hope to see you next time. Faith, let's do it. Let's go for it. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep keep your your monster monster on a leash. leash. We'll see you on the other side. This is a coyote for the late night fright right here on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. The Bride of Frankenstein is a movie about friends and wanting to find a friend and have a friend and not be alone in this world. This can be a hard, cruel world. We hope that you got good vibes from our show tonight. We hope that you take them good vibes out into this cruel, cold, dark world because old Satan Claus is out there, kids. You can't find them vibes out there in a friend. Look into your heart. They're right there waiting for you. We'll see you next time.